pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. Happy New Year and welcome to Calvary Chapel. Looking forward to what the Lord has for us this year. And I know last year was a a challenge and it was difficult in many ways, but the Lord is faithful to see us through. And he's going to continue to be faithful. Always remember this, that his mercies are new every morning, right? That great is his faithfulness and know that his compassion fails not. And so we can hang on to God's word. And so glad that you're here to be encouraged in the Lord and in his word this morning. Uh, got a couple of quick announcements I'd like to make before we get into our Bible study. Uh, and that is uh, the e-bulletin going out. Uh, we send that out by email. It's on the web page, calvarychapelgreeley.org. Uh, but if you like it by email, and that's what I like it. It comes every Thursday, has all the information that is uh, needed for you to know what's going on here at Calvary Chapel and the weekly schedule and events that are taking place. Just let us know. Call the church office, and we'll get you on the email uh, loop, and so you can get that. And, um, and it, you know, since we've had to all adjust in this last year, um, one of the things is uh, electronic ways and online things are becoming more available, and people are using that. So we want to make it as easy as possible for you. So be sure to let us know. A couple things coming up Tuesday, ladies' prayer, and that is at 7.30 here at the church. Every Saturday, the guys meet at 7 o'clock here for men's prayer, so I want to let you know about that. Uh, there will be um, a home fellowship starting back up. Uh, we've kind of missed uh, some uh, gatherings in the last year, but we want to move forward in coming together. And so Saturday, home fellowship, Koinonia fellowship at the home of Jim and Rhonda Aris. You can sign up through the bulletin. Uh, their address is there, 6 to 8 o'clock, and all the information is there for you, uh, for you to um, go to a home fellowship. Young adults, uh, college age, 18 to 26, are going to start back up, not this Friday, but on the 15th. So if you're here and you're college age, we had a lot of young people coming out last fall. It was a great encouragement to them. want to remind you that's at 7 o'clock. That'll be taking place. And then also, uh, just want to let you know that uh, um, if you... I want to encourage you, as you pray and the Lord's leading you to get involved in ministry, the volunteer in any area of ministry, please let us know. On the e-bulletin is a volunteer fill-out form that you can fill it out, and we'll make sure that we give it to the ministry leaders, if it's children's ministry or if it's, you know, working in the nursery with the toddlers. You know, one of the things, I've talked to a number of pastors and those who have multiple services that they're not able to provide children's ministry because of lack of volunteers, and that can happen in a normal year when we're not dealing with a pandemic, but especially now they're dealing with that, and people are less likely to serve because of different reasons. But we've been so blessed. The Lord has provided for us to be able to have children's ministry and nursery and toddlers all three services. And if you'd like to help with that, uh, that would be a tremendous blessing. Angie Mosley, Marley uh, oversee the children's ministry, and then Celeste and uh, Vanessa, the toddlers and children, or nursery and toddlers. They do an incredible job. Um, I am so blessed to have them overseeing those ministries. We are blessed. Your children are, are very much 
uh, very precious to us. It's a high priority to minister to them. If you could help out once a month, uh, be a helper or teacher, let us know, fill out a form, and we'll get the application for you. Or, you know, just with coffee shop or greeters, we're starting to ramp that up again. Bookstore cleaning, worship team, meals ministry. Uh, maybe you're thinking, I want to serve, but I'm not sure where I want to serve. We want to pray for you, and we want to encourage you in any way that we can. So fill out one of these forms or at the information desk or on the e-bulletin and pray about how you might get involved here because I believe the Lord really wants to continue to bless. And as I look out on today, uh, the services, all three services, it looks like we're going to have to add some more chairs in, which is, you know, it's a blessing. So I'm glad people want to come back and be in fellowship and, um, and for us to gather, and we need to do that. Thursday, I did the prophecy update on New Year's Eve, and many of you have responded saying you were tremendously blessed by it. So if you missed it, you want to go back and you want to listen to that teaching. I do a prophecy update every New Year's Eve. Did so online, so at calvarychapelgreeley.org. You can pull it up and listen to it. You know, one of the things that we talked about is Paul was uh, comforting a church that they needed to be established in truth once again concerning the events of the end times because there was a lot of voices out there, uh, resources, things that were, were deceiving them. And so he wants to bring comfort to them once again. And he says, don't be troubled or shaken in mind. When he had written to them about the return of the Lord, the rapture of the church, he, he said, comfort one another with these words. And it's really my desire that you be discerning in the days in which we're living in. We don't know the day or the hour of the return of the Lord, but we are living in very unique times. And we see the birth pangs that are happening and the things that are taking place that scream at us that the Lord is coming back soon. So you want to listen to that so we can be comforted in this year as we move forward. Because I believe a lot of Christians were troubled in their hearts in 2020 for various reasons. And it's very easy to get our eyes off the Lord. And it is Jesus that said, when you begin to see these things come to pass, what? Look up and rejoice for your redemption draws near. Amen. That's good news for us. He has a plan for us, and he's going to see it through. He's on the throne. And uh, in the meantime, we occupy till he comes. Amen. And I believe he really wants to continue to use this church and continue to use you in ministry and ministering to your children, to, in your family, to those at work, those who are linked to you in your life. And, and speaking of, of, of ministry, Pray for us in the radio ministry as we continue with that. We have our radio program under the fig tree that's on at 3.30, but we are also going to be on in the morning. Uh, Pastor Ed at Calvary Church in Aurora texted me last week, and he said, you know, you want to take a slot in the morning? We got one open. I'd like for you to take it. I said, sure. So I, don't, I haven't talked to him since. And uh, so it may start tomorrow. And I think it's at 8.30 or 9 in the morning and then 3.30 in the afternoon. We'll find out soon enough. But be praying for that. We're reaching a lot of people with the radio program. And then also I'll continue with Calvary Live, the call-in show, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock on Mondays and Tuesdays. Pastor Ed does Wednesday and Thursday, and then Nick Katie does Friday. And so be praying for, for that ministry as well as we're talking to people, and I have the opportunity to talk with them as they ask questions and give prayer requests from all over the country. And it's really, uh, it's growing, and more uh, Christian radio stations are picking it up across the country as well. So it's a privilege to be able to do that. Uh, that you know, I, I want to encourage you, because he chooses the foolish things of the world. 
and the weak things of the world, and the things that are not to bring to not the things that are, that no man will glory in his presence, that if he can use me, he can use you. And he'll open up those doors that no man can shut, and he'll shut doors that no man can open. He wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I believe that he wants to use us in these last days to be a voice of truth, to be a light to those that are out there in the world. One last final announcement, then we'll get into our Bible study. Um, thank you for those of you who supported us financially last year. We always go by the philosophy where God guides, he provides, and he's provided for us. It was 25 years ago tomorrow that I loaded up two small kids and came up to Greeley to start a church in our home. And he's been faithful ever since. And we're very grateful for this venture of faith. And he's not done. He wants to do so much more. So thank you for your support. You will be getting an email statement. And then also, if we have your email, which I think most of you, and then you're also going to get mailed a statement uh, as well sometime this month. Whether you want one or not, you're going to get one. Okay? <laughs> and then you can do with it whatever you want for tax purposes or whatever. Okay? Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, we'll begin at verse 1. And Father, as I hear the pages of Bibles that are turning, uh, it's, I thank you that Bible's in hand, that we can open it up, and this is the inspired word of God to speak to us. It's God-breathed put to the page. And Lord, as we look at this story that is recorded for us, that we not only want to look at the implication, but the application for us. You have something for us today. And I pray our hearts would be attentive, our ears open to you. And Lord, that you would show us the things and speak to our hearts in the way that you desire. So Lord, again, help us be teachable, humble before you, taking the seed of the word to plant it in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As most of you know that John and I, that we are twins. And, you know, even in the ministry here, sometimes people get him and I mixed up. And we've always dealt with that uh, all of our lives, and especially when we we're young. And I know that there's a number of people in this fellowship that you're a twin. Uh, you grew up, you know, just with people getting you and your twin mixed up. Or maybe you had a sibling that you were close in age. And I remember that that happened constantly when we were young. And uh, neighbors and family members and teachers, they, they would always mix us up all the time. Well, one time when I was about 10 years old, growing up in Kansas in Topeka, we were walking down the street. It was snowing. And I had a thing about throwing snowballs at cars, and I just, I love to do that. So I packed a big, heavy snowball, and I threw it at a car, plastered it right on the windshield, and we started running, and we ran towards an alley, and one of Topeka's finest pulled in a police officer, and I kept running, John stopped. And he got out, and he addressed John, and I'm down the alleyway looking around the corner watching all this happen. And he, he made John apologize and all of this. And when it was over, we thought, Whoosh, we got away with it. Hopefully nobody will find out. But what happened was is that uh, my older brother, Dan, had a friend that was walking by at that time. 
He told Dan, and Dan couldn't wait to rat us out to mom, and then we both got in trouble. But that happened. You know, that's one of the stories where people got us mixed up, and John's going, it was not me. It was my brother, and, and the police officer's going, no, I saw you throw it. It was you, and uh, he was confused. As we move into chapter 14, we read about one of the rulers of Israel called Herod the Tetrarch, ruling in that area of Galilee, and he's confused. He's mixed up, if you would, between Jesus and John the Baptist, as we read at verse 1 of chapter 14 of Matthew, that at that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist, he's risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Why is Herod thinking that Jesus is John the Baptist risen from the grave? Why the confusion? Well, as we continue reading through this chapter, uh, it tells us of the story behind Herod having John the Baptist be put to death. And you recall, if you were with us in chapter 11, or perhaps you're familiar with it, that we saw that John had been put in prison. And the first section of this chapter is going to tell us the events, the circumstances that led up to John's imprisonment and eventual death. And as we read about Herod here, he's Herod the Tetrarch. He was a very carnal individual. He was a very evil individual. Uh, he was very mean. And he was drawn to John the Baptist in some way. But as he's drawn to him, he's fascinated. He, we know from the Gospels about the miracles that he had heard about here, as is as, as mentioned, it, going on in the Galilee region. And that's where he is ruling over, and over into Perea, which is on the east side of the Jordan River. And we know that Herod, at the time that Jesus would be arrested in Jerusalem, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he's brought back bound to the religious leaders. The next day, after he's put on trial, three religious trials that he's put on, that he is taken to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate hears that Jesus is from Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, that's Herod's jurisdiction, and Herod is here in Jerusalem for the feast. I'm going to send him to Herod. And Jesus would stand then before Herod, and Herod was so excited to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. He, he was kind of like, do a miracle for me. You know, do some kind of trick. Jesus did not say a single word to Herod. And Herod began to mock Jesus. So this is that Herod that is ruling during the time of Jesus' ministry. And as we know that he's drawn to John the Baptist, John the Baptist wasn't doing miracles. It was Jesus that was doing the miracles. Jesus is at the height of his popularity right now. When we next week read about the feeding of the 5,000, that is after that event, we will see that the people were ready to, to take him by force, to crown him as their Messiah. And he would dismiss the crowds. And then he begins to talk about going to the cross. He begins to talk about that he's going to be handed over by the chief priests and elders in Jerusalem, and he's going to die, but he's going to resurrect after three days. So at this time, as Herod is hearing about the miracles uh, of Jesus, he also has his conscience that is bothering him. His own superstitious beliefs causes fear within him. And he thinks that, you know, that John the Baptist has risen from the grave. And he is haunted in his spirit and in his soul. 
And Matthew tells us why he had John in prison and beheaded, which would lead to him now being troubled, perplexed. And verse 3, we read, For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they had counted him as a prophet. So who exactly is this Herod the Tetrarch that is spoken here in Matthew chapter 14, also known as Herod Antipas? And I think that we need to take a minute to, to make sure that we understand who this Herod is because there's four different individuals that are called Herod in the New Testament. As you read the Gospels and as you read the book of Acts, we know the first Herod was ruling over Judea, the King Herod, at the time of the birth of Jesus, right? Matthew chapter 2, here come the wise men from the east following the star of Bethlehem. They come to Jerusalem. And one of the reasons why I believe that uh, it tells us wise men, magi plural, could have been two, could have been three. That's what the manger scenes are all about at Christmas time. It could have been a dozen. It could have been a hundred. I believe it was a fairly large contingency of wise men because they got the attention of Herod the Great. And, and Herod says, why are you guys here? Well, we're here to worship the new king of Israel. And Herod, when he heard that, he was very troubled. And in Matthew chapter 2 tells us that the people in Jerusalem were troubled. And the reason they were troubled, because Herod the Great, he was called the Great, not because he was a great guy. He was a great builder. He was one that built fortresses, Masada down by the Dead Sea, uh, Herodian that was near Bethlehem. And, and they just recently, over the last few years, found the tomb of Herod. And we were one of the first groups to go to Herodias when it opened up. And it's very fascinating. Uh, he's the one that uh, expanded the temple there in Jerusalem, to where it became one of the wonders of the world. And the temple, they believe itself, the building was 23 stories high. It was overlaid with gold. It was one of the wonders of the world. You can see some of the Herodian stones today that they were so crafted in minute details to where they fit it perfectly together that there's a hairline fracture between the stones. No mortar was used. Incredible, the technology, what he was able to build. Jerusalem was called the, the golden city, and one of the reasons was is because on the Mount of Olives to the east, when the sun came up behind you as you're looking at the Temple Mount where it was, that the sun would reflect off the gold that was overlaid over the temple, and it would blind you. So Herod was a great builder, built aqueducts, uh, built a palace in Caesarea on the sea coast. You see the remains of that. But he was a very cruel individual. He was a very paranoid individual. He was one that had at least one of his wives put to death, Doris. Uh, he was one that at least had one of his sons put to death. Um, he was paranoid if he felt like anybody was trying to take his power away from him. And that's why he was troubled when these wise men came and began to speak about uh, the new king of Israel that you come to worship. And so he built these fortresses. And they had a saying in the Roman Senate at that time, it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. So that was Herod the Great. He dies about four years after the birth of Jesus. Of course, Joseph and Mary had to flee Bethlehem. They would go to Egypt and then eventually end up back in Nazareth after the death of Herod the Great. 
Herod the Great has a son, and it's this person here, Herod the Tetrarch. That's the title. He ruled over a quarter of Israel up in the Galilee region and also in Perea, which you read that term, that, that geographic location in the New Testament. It's speaking on the east side of the Jordan River. And so that's Herod the uh, Tetrarch that we're going to talk about here, Herod Antipas. We also go to the book of Acts. There's two more Herods. There's Herod uh, Agrippa I, and he is one that's recorded in Acts chapter 12, very cruel individual, very mean individual. He has James put to death, the first apostle, and then he desired to put Peter to death. Peter's put in prison, and an angel comes and rescues Peter and opens the prison doors and the shackles and everything, and Peter leaves. And, and at the end of chapter 12, there's an interesting story. In the amphitheater there in Caesarea, very beautiful place. You can go there. Many of you have gone with us to Israel where we go to that amphitheater, and it overlooks the Mediterranean Sea. But it was there that Herod Agrippa I was there, and the people of Tyre and Sidon were there and trying to butter him up, and they're yelling out from the stands, he's a god. Herod Agrippa is a god. It's the voice of a god. He's in his shiny clothes. Bam, all of a sudden he goes down. He's dead. God struck him. Eaten of worms. So that's Herod Agrippa I. We know that his son, Herod Agrippa II, ruled during the time that Paul would be arrested there in Acts chapter 20. He would go through a series of trials that would lead to Caesarea, where he would give his testimony in that same amphitheater before Herod Agrippa II. And Herod Agrippa II, that he would say, Paul, much learning has made you mad. You almost persuade me to be a Christian. And Paul said, oh, I wish that you would. So those are the four Herods that are spoken of in the scriptures that we read about. And so as we look at this, here is Herod Antipas, and, and he has John the Baptist arrested, put in prison, and because we read that John rebuked Herod for taking Herodias, his brother's wife. You see, what history tells us is that Herod was up in Rome to visit uh, his brother Philip and fell in love with his wife, and she ran off with Herod uh, back to Israel where she was living with him. And there's a whole soap opera that goes with it. You see, Herod, he was married. There was an Arabian king that gave Herod his daughter, and they kind of made an alliance, a pact. Well, he tells her, you know, as he kicks her out and brings back Herodias, that the Arabian king king is very upset because he did that to his daughter. He was going to go to war against Herod Agrippa, but Rome put a stop to it. So John the Baptist says to Herod that what you have done is sin. It's immoral. It's not lawful in taking your brother's wife. And John was one that stood for righteousness. He was a man of godly integrity and honesty. You see, the religious leaders didn't confront Herod with his sin. And I just want to remind us as we consider this and read this, that in this world that we live in, when you make a choice that you're going to stand for righteousness and you are going to live in godly integrity and in character and honesty, you see, you may not get ahead. We know that there can be a lot of pressure and there can be a lot of talk from our culture and our world. How it is that you can get ahead? 
If you're on social media right now, there's all kinds of ads. There's all kinds of people that are telling you, this is, if you listen to my teachings, if you buy my books, if you listen to my series, then I'm going to tell you how you can be successful in 2021, how you can get ahead, how you can have influence over people, how you can win people, and, and all these things. And, and that's something that our culture craves and, and desires to have. This is how you can get ahead in life. This is how you can be successful. You've got to play the game. You've got to go along with things. You've got to have the right vocabulary. You've got to do these certain things. Don't be so uptight. And even there are Christians that will tell you and I as believers, don't be overzealous. You know, don't be, you know, just always talking about the Lord, things like that. Don't be too serious. You know, you want to get along with everyone. You, you don't want to offend people. Those are the pressures that we're facing. So the boss, he goes out for some drinks with you and the coworkers. He lifts his glass for a toast, and you better do it too. You better get along with all your coworkers, whatever's going on. You better get along with your family. And, of course, we don't want to have, you know, tension with them. We want to be able to have good relationships with people. But if you want to get ahead and you want to be successful, you want to have influence over people, uh, you better go along with what's going on. So what if there's a little bit of carnality? So what if you're with your family and there's a little partying going on? No big deal. It's just part of life. It's part of the culture. No big deal if your business dealings are a little bit deceptive. Or you laugh at the dirty jokes that the coworkers are telling. Just go along with it. Don't rock the boat. Don't worry about that activity. Even though it's sin, even though it's carnal, and you know in your heart that it's not pleasing to the Lord. I want to tell you, in the years of ministry, I have talked to many of people that they said, I was at this party or this gathering or involved in this activity. We were having some drinks. We were doing some partying. And I was just with some friends or coworkers or whoever it might be. And I ended up doing something that I very much regret. And I said things that I shouldn't have said. I was watching things that, that was wrong. I was involved in that which was sin and car carnal. And I know it was worldly. But I was just trying to get along with everybody. I was just going along with the crowd. I didn't want to offend anybody. And then that conviction comes to them. John didn't get ahead. Matter of fact, we're going to read how he lost his head. But he was a man of godly integrity, as I said, and honesty and humility and godly character. Paul, when he was writing to Timothy in his first letter, he begins that epistle by saying, Timothy, may you minister in sincere faith, that is, unhypocritical faith, and with a good conscience and from a pure heart. And that really is my prayer, not only for myself, but for all of you, that as we walk through and journey through 2021, that as we are ministering to others and we're linked to a lot of different people in our lives, coworkers and neighbors and family and whoever it might be, old friends, that we would do it in a way that, Lord, I want to have sincere faith. I want to have a good conscience 
And I want to do it from a pure heart. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. So as we look at this, John is cast into prison, even though Herod Antipas feared the people, just as the Pharisees also, we will see, feared the people concerning Jesus. So John's in that prison cell. Let's continue reading verse 6. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. And therefore he promised with an oath to, to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. In verse 11, And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. We know from the other gospel accounts that Herod was intrigued by John the Baptist. He saw him as one that was a, a just man. Somehow he was a godly man. But Herodias, she didn't like John at all. And here it is, Herod's birthday. The daughter of Herodias comes. We don't know her name, not mentioned here in the Gospels, but Joseph the, uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that her name was Salome or Salome. And, and so when it's Herod's birthday, it's being celebrated, the wine is flowing, Herod and his guests are drinking, and Herodias has her daughter dance before Herod. And listen, when she's doing this, she's not doing the cha-cha or the chicken dance, you know. She is, the indication here is she is dancing very seductively to where it pleased Herod. And he says, I'll give you whatever you ask. In Mark's account, it tells us that he promised up to half his kingdom. So Herodias prompted or instructed Salome, Salome, to ask for the head of John the Baptist. She's still very much upset that John had said those things concerning her and Herod. And because Herod had given oaths, notice verse 9 here, it's in the plural. He said it more than once, and he said it more than once in the presence of the people and his guests. Whatever it is that you want, he commanded that John's head then be taken off. And he was sorry, is what Matthew writes. Mark writes, he was exceedingly sorrowful. And, and he begins to be haunted in his heart, in, in his soul, because he was intrigued with John. I think that he knew deep down inside that John had that excellent spirit that was in him, the spirit of God. You see, it's the same thing as with Joseph as he stood before Pharaoh. That Pharaoh said to Joseph as he, Joseph interpreted that dream of Pharaoh that, and gave him wisdom. He said, there's no one here in Egypt that has the wisdom that you do. We know that Daniel, that he served before Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian Empire, but even after Babylon fell to the Medes and Persians under Darius, as you go to that familiar chapter, chapter 6, where Daniel's thrown in the lion's den, that it tells us that Daniel's one of the officials. He's like the second, you know, in command under Darius. The other officials are very jealous of him, but it, it reads there in chapter 6 that Daniel had an excellent spirit within him. They noticed that. And the same spirit as in Daniel that was in Joseph is the same spirit that is in you, the Holy Spirit of God. He dwells in your heart. And you're able to, to live life and be a witness, not only with your words, but with your actions, with the way that you live your life. And what my prayer is, is that people would see godly wisdom that would come from you 
and that they would see that you're living for the Lord, that excellent spirit within you, because I've said this many times, that we're a witness not only with the words that we speak, but the way that we live our lives. They may not always like it. They may come against you. They may want to take your head off. But as you do, as you make that decision that I am going to live for the Lord and be an example for the Lord, that, Lord, I want to, to live for you, that know this, that you may not get ahead, and know this, that he loves you, and know that he wants to work in your life. He was sorry here, as we know that he would have John the Baptist put to death because of his oaths, because he said it all to his guests. He gave the command, have the Baptist head put on a silver platter, and he gave it to Salome, who would give it to her mother, and it's a gross, disgusting scene. And I think that Herodias' wickedness is comparable to Jezebel of the Old Testament. She set her husband up so that John would be put to death, so that John would be silenced. Uh, the voice of truth and righteousness would no longer be heard from John. And Herod, who is really a coward and a fool, it says that he's exceedingly sorrowful. He is sorry because he was a man that was controlled by his fleshly desires. And we know this to be true. Listen. If any of us are controlled by our flesh, if we follow after the dictates of our hearts, remember Jeremiah, that he was speaking to a nation, and the people said, Jeremiah, we're not going to listen to you. We're not going to listen to the words of the Lord. We're not going to turn away from our idol worship. We're going to follow the dictates of our hearts. And it led to captivity, left to death and devastation and destruction like they'd never seen before. And if we live life where we say, I'm going to do what I want to do and be controlled by our fleshly desires, you will spend many a days being exceedingly sorrowful. Not because Pastor Jeff says so, because that's what the Word of God has to say. Now, in Luke's account of this, it tells us that Herod was perplexed. Herod cut off the head of the one Jesus said was more than a prophet. He was greatest born of women up to that point, John chapter 11, concerning John the Baptist. And Jesus went on to say that he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. We know from John's gospel that, again, John the Baptist wasn't doing miracles. He did know miracles, specifically is what we are told. It was Jesus that was doing the miracles, but he didn't do any miracles. And Jesus said he's the greatest born of women up to this point. And I think, wow, that's quite a statement that Jesus makes. Because I would have guessed the greatest born among women had to be Moses, right? The lawgiver, the one who parted the Red Sea. It had to be David who, who killed giants, the mighty warrior, the greatest king Israel ever had. It had to be somebody like Elijah who called down fire from heaven. Or perhaps Daniel that had these incredible visions. But it wasn't any of them. It's John the Baptist. And who was John the Baptist? He's the one that spoke of Jesus. He pointed to Jesus. He declared Jesus. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus went on to say that he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It is something that all of us can do is speak of Jesus, point to Jesus, give the truth of Jesus to people. Amen? So all of us in this year, we got a decision to make. 
Do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Or do you want to be great in the world? You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Or do you want to be great according to the world's eyes? So Herod puts to death the greatest prophet ever born for a girl who danced seductively when he was pickled, when he was drunk. And he wakes up the next day, and he gets over his hangover, and I don't think it was, whoo, I got away with that. His conscience is bothering him big time. He is haunted by what he did. I bet he's spooked. He's having nightmares. He doesn't want to go to sleep at night. He would go to bed with the lights on, or at least the candles burning. He's afraid of the dark. He is spooked big time. It's like he's going to hear this noise, and there's, you know, the headless John the Baptist there going, Herod, I'm going to get you, and Herodias, you know. You're not going to get away with this. He is completely bothered. He's perplexed, Dr. Luke tells us. Do not be fooled by thinking that I can go out and sin. I can be involved in this carnality. I can be involved in worldliness. I can watch Salome dance, and it's no big deal. You know, I'll be done with it the next day. You may think that you're done with your sin, but your sin is not done with you. You may think it's cool. No one's going to know. I got away with it. No one's going to find out. You know, didn't hurt anybody. You may think that you are done with your sin, but your sin is not done with you. You see, it's going to haunt you. And the Bible says in the book of Galatians, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you sow to the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap everlasting life, good things. But if you sow to the spirit of the, uh, of the flesh, of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. That is a spiritual law that applies to every single one of us. None of us are exempt. The Bible says your sin will find you out. Just like it was found out that I threw that snowball at that car. I didn't get away with it. And it's a loving father that says, listen, don't go down that road. Don't go down the road of carnality and sin and deception and worldliness because it's going to lead you to where you don't want to go. And you're going to get hurt. And you're going to be haunted in your spirit and in your soul. You may think you're done with your sin, but your sin is not done with you. And if there is sin, listen. I say that with all humility. But I plead with you. God's been dealing with you, some sin and carnality in your life. I beg you, stop. Stop. And repent and turn to the Lord and give it to the Lord. And fall on your knees. And if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and forgive us from all unrighteousness. But if you continue, your conscience is going to haunt you. It's a loving father that will bring conviction to you. Listen, he brings conviction to you because you are his child. And he loves you. And he doesn't want you to get hurt. And he brings conviction so you'll turn to the Lord. Not condemnation. You see, there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
There is now, today, this morning, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy brings condemnation to push you away from the Lord. The Lord brings conviction by the Holy Spirit to draw you to him because he loves you. And this is the love of God that you keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. And every commandment and truth and principle and precept that he gives to you in his word is an expression of his love for you, for you to experience life the way it was meant to be lived so that you may experience life and peace, that you may reap to everlasting life because you've sowed seeds into the spirit, that you may be free and not in captivity. Aren't you thankful every day that we as Christians, that we don't have to live after the world and deception and weirdness <laughs> And, and to be in bondage to all that stuff and deceived and in darkness and blindness, we get to live for the Lord. And we get to just be able to walk in true freedom and to experience that joy that it has for us. And it's important that we are no longer controlled by the flesh as Christians, to not walk in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit of God. Because Paul would write to the Galatian churches, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Be yielded and submitted to the Lord. Walk in his ways. I know it's a battle. It's a battle every day, right? Because the flesh the, rears its ugly head. And the temptations come and we become weak. And that's why we need to turn to the Lord every single day and be in his word. Listen, this is a, a bad scene here in Matthew 14. And if any of us allow our flesh to dominate us, it will just be a bad scene. It will be bad news. Submit to the Lord by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let him empower you to walk in the Spirit. Because he will not command you to do anything that he will not enable you to do. What he commands you to do, he will enable you to do. And he will help you. And it's trusting in him and resting in him every single day. So what happened to Herod and Herodias? Well, history tells us that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Claudius becomes the emperor. It is Herod Antipas that has a nephew, Herod Agrippa I. And Herod Agrippa I, he was close to Claudius. And so Claudius gave much of Herod Antipas' rule to Herod Agrippa I. And Herod Antipas didn't like that. Um, they, he didn't get along with his nephew. Uh, he wanted to be king. He wanted the title of king. And Herodias wanted to be queen. So she says, hey, you need to confront Claudius. Tell him to make you king, to give you back all the area that you're to rule over, to give you the title of king. Well, it was Herod Agrippa I, the nephew of Herod Antipas, that says to Claudius, listen, Herod the Tetrarch, Antipas, he's plotting against you. And he was also plotting against Tiberius, the emperor before you. You better deal with him. So Claudius takes Herod Antipas, he takes Herodias, banishes them in Spain in isolation. That's where they would live for the rest of their lives. There are some sources that say that both Herod Antipas and Herodias ended up taking their own lives. You know, the Bible says 
To be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded is death. And I can't help but think about as it was Solomon who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon had everything. He had all the power that anybody would want. He had all the wealth that anybody could have. He wore golden sandals. Rocks and, you know, the or silver was as valuable as rocks in Jerusalem. He overlaid the first temple with gold. He had exotic parties with wild animals. People came, leaders from all over the world, to hear his wisdom. He had a thousand wives and concubines. He was very intelligent. He wrote books and proverbs and and. Uh, did much learning. And it is Solomon that writes in Ecclesiastes, it's all emptiness, it's all vanity. He wasn't fulfilled, he wasn't satisfied. He said, there's nothing new under the sun. Here's a guy that had absolutely everything that any person could want, what the world would want. And if we're one that we're just going to live for ourselves and we're going to be ones that I want more, you know, I want to pursue... I want to get ahead. I'm going to do it as I follow my ways and do it by the dictates of my heart. You know what's going to end up happening? You may have satisfaction and fulfillment for a short time, but it's going to diminish. And you're going to end up living life wondering, is there more to life? And it's vanity and it's emptiness and there's nothing new under the sun. And a thousand years later, after Solomon, here comes Paul the Apostle as he takes pen to parchment and he writes to the church at Rome and he says, here's something very important. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritual minded is life and peace. And if you are carnally minded, you're just going to begin to smell of death. You're going to reek of death in your heart and in your soul. You're just going to begin to die. Because one of the deceptions of the world and the enemy is if you have more of this and you pursue that, and if you live for yourself, then you will be free and you will be happy and fulfilled and satisfied. It is a lie from the enemy. The Lord, as you live for him, To be spiritually minded is life and peace. I think every single one of us, that we want to experience life the way it was meant to be, have peace, have comfort, he will do more in your life as you follow after him than you will ever be able to do in your own energies and following the dictates of your heart. And that's why these things are written for us, that we may learn. Listen, let the Lord guide you and direct you, and you say, that I want people to see that excellent spirit in me. It isn't by haughtiness. It isn't by being judgmental and harsh and I'm more religious than everybody else. And it, it is in godly wisdom and godly integrity and godly humility. You live for the Lord. You may not get ahead, but I'll tell you this. If he wants to exalt you, he'll exalt you. If he wants to bring you down, he'll bring you down but you can trust him with everything. It was Daniel that said to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, God has enabled you. He's allowed you to have this kingdom with glory and power, but you're going to go down, Nebuchadnezzar, because the Lord, he's the one that's able to promote you if you need to be promoted. He's the one that's able to bless you in any way as he desires, but you trust him. And you know what you'll find? You will be fulfilled and satisfied 
and you'll enjoy life the way it was meant to be enjoyed because he is the source of those things. And he will give you a peace that rules in your heart and passes all understanding. And you will have a life that is so wonderful. doesn't mean everything's going to be glorious and you'll never have any problems, but you trust in him for what he has for you. And you experience life and peace as you're spiritually minded. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this important story that is given to us. And it's recorded for our admonition, for us to learn. And what my prayer for us is that as we move through this year, that all of us would desire to do it with sincere faith and a good conscience and a pure heart, that we would desire to be great in the kingdom that we would be ones that, Lord, trust you with every area of our lives to have a heart for you and to be spiritually minded. I thank you that you speak to us through your word, that we can trust your word and rest in your love. You promise you will do exceedingly abundantly. That's the prayer of Paul, that that would take place in our lives above all that we ask or think. And, Lord, that you will perfect that which concerns us. Father, I want to pray for those listening online. I know there's a number of people or those here or later on the radio that you've never given your life to Jesus. He is your salvation. You see, Jesus came to this world to die for your sins because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus went and died on that cross for your sins. He did the work. He paid the price. He made atonement for your sins, and he was put into a tomb and rose again. He's alive. He's the only one that can save you. He is your salvation. And as you call upon the name of the Lord, as you say, I have sinned, and I need forgiveness, and I come to you and ask you to sit upon the throne of my heart and life as my personal Lord and Savior, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that you? If you're not right with God this morning, as we enter into a new year, get right with the Lord. Because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. Call upon him. Today is the day of salvation. And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me. You rose from the grave. You're alive. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for this new beginning and this new year. And bring me into the family of God for your forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. And I do want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And Father, for all of us, as we leave this place, rejoicing because we've been here. And Lord, desiring to have that excellent spirit come forth from us as we look to you, as we walk in your ways. And as we desire to, Lord, just trust you with our relationships, all of our activities and doings. Lord, knowing that every commandment that you give to us is an expression of your love. And they're not burdensome. Father, thank you for today. Bless everyone here as we go our way now. In Jesus' name, amen.